Welcome back to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio, where we dive into all things athletics. In this episode, we recap the Revolutions and Speed Clinic that Chris went to up in Minnesota, where Cal Dietz, Chris Corfus, and Dan Victor spoke. There's a lot of great practical information in this podcast from Chris uh, in regards to speed training and just training in general. Ton of great nuggets in here, and I'm excited for us to dive into it. Enjoy. All right, welcome back for another episode, and again, it's the uh, the summer of conferences. Today, we're going to be recapping the long title here, Revolutions in Speed Clinic, uh, and then the subtitle there is Some of the Best Stuff in Sprinting So Far, something along those lines. <laughs> and if you're a massive fan and follower of Chris Corfus, Cal Dietz, and Dan Fichter, like I am, uh, this is going to be a good one for you as we kind of just go over some of my big key takeaways. And this was a, a tough one because it was at the same time as Seabasps and would have loved to have gone and see Ross and, you know, catch up there in Richmond, but ultimately had to had to go see the boys up uh, in the Great White North there in Minneapolis and uh, hear, hear what they had to t- say about, about speed. And Cal always does a great job of kind of baiting people right releases a a new uh trick a new exercise another video and he really got me hyped up to to go to this and learn a bit from the boys and i gotta tell you fellas it it did not disappoint the revolutions in speed clinic was phenomenal i uh i walked away with a a bloody hand from all the (laughs) notes that i was taking and my my voice was hoarse from just you know if you've ever been anywhere with me just shouting out questions and uh and asking them a whole bunch so yeah we'll uh we'll get right into it and just start to kind of go over some of my big key takeaways and so on the screen here for me i'm looking at uh how many pages of uh seven pages of typed out notes and then you know a, a page and a half of key takeaways so yeah, if, if you guys have any questions kind of along the way here, Blair and Ross, just make sure you kind of interrupt and, and fire them my way. But we'll just kind of start it out with key takeaway number one here. Um, Dan Fichter said it, and I, I didn't catch it at first, but went back later and was able to write it down. But really interesting, sprinting and speed is force per average body weight. Okay, sprinting and speed is force per average body weight. So being the the lucky, blessed man that I am having the 1080, I can see that now, right? When you're just taking a time, whether you have a laser or a free lap or something, um, if you don't have uh, you know, 100 meters of force plates like uh, the, the Japanese do, then the 1080 is one of the, the best ways to do it. And since the clinic, I've been and I've done this previously, really assessing how much force per their body weight that all my guys are putting out. And it just is what it is. My fastest guys have the highest force output for their body weight. So how I'm doing that is uh, really you can go whatever way you want as long as your data um, is kind of normalized and you follow the same way. But uh, a body weight, and then I'm taking the average newtons or the average force that they're producing uh throughout a 10 meter sprint because that's what i primarily use and yeah it just the the fastest people put down the most force for their body weight right that ratio and yeah maybe not the most groundbreaking thing 
but kind of breaks us free of that old mold of stride width times stride length. And so we're trying to put a ton of force into the ground for your body weight. Really, Chris, really good. Um, looking at your 1080 data, have you seen a bigger or smaller guys producing more force? Yeah. So the bigger guys will always produce more force just because they're bigger guys. Right. Um, and especially if I add weight to it, right? So, uh, the more weight you put on something, whether it's a sled or the 1080 or a bar, the slower it's going to be when you have slower, um, speeds, that's going to allow you to produce more force right within a, a certain window. Um, so if you load the sled up maximally and they can't move it, uh, they're going to be producing maximal force, right? Like a, the highest forces someone could produce is an isometric, right? Like a mid-thigh pole or something that's going to produce the most force. So the more you slow something down, right? If we think of the force velocity curve. Um, and then, yeah, just by pure body weight, the more resistance I add to the 1080, the big boys just move it and the not so big boys don't. And that's where like that average body weight really needs to come into play. Um, so it's kind of like a, a relative strength number. Yep. Uh, you have to be able to deadlift two times your body weight, right? Like a, a classic number. Um, so taking that force per average body weight, uh, I'm going to be really interested once I get all of my athletes back. Cause I was running data on old numbers. And once I get all my athletes back, like, Hey, is that going to be a good way for me to assess who needs to get stronger or maybe who needs to work on body composition a little bit, right? Like, Hey, you're just a little too big. Um, let's clean up the diet a little bit and you're going to become faster just from that. So yeah, real, real interesting. We'll, we'll see how it kind of plays out for right now. Uh, I just want to continue to kind of collect data before I really let it, um, shape and mold my training decisions. Is that, uh, essentially isn't forcing the ground. Just what Barry Ross said in his book. I mean, getting your deadlift. Yes, it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly. Now, while, while I do agree that that is true, right? So, um, Ross, you just brought up, uh, the sprint coach, Barry Ross, uh, wrote the book. Uh, oh gosh, Undergr- I, I just lost the title of the book. secrets to faster yeah. running. Yes. Yeah. That one. And, uh, Barry Ross famous for, um, training Allison Felix, um, who, if you're following track and field Twitter is, you know, blowing up right now Doing okay. um, with the world championships. Yeah. Just happening. Um, and so, yeah, with Barry Ross, it was just, okay, if, if force is important, just increase their deadlift, try to keep them at the same body weight. Uh, and the kind of concept behind that was mass specific force, right? Being able to put force into the ground. If you're deadlifting, um, you're putting force into the ground. Now, while I do like that concept on paper, it doesn't necessarily transfer because when you're doing a deadlift, you're not working on your feet. You're really developing your hips. You're developing your knees, uh, your back strength, all that. But as, as we know, if you don't have the feet, if you don't have those springs in your shoes, you're just not going to run fast. And two, like if you just have terrible mechanics, 
it, it doesn't matter. Now, I yeah, I during my training, I love a nice concentric only deadlift. I, I want to always push that for, for my athletes, but I'm not naive enough to think that only doing that, only working on that mass-specific force is going to make them faster. There's just so much going on uh, when it comes to gait and sprinting, so much going on with the feet, with the ankles, that you know, just the idea that increasing your deadlift alone is going to get you faster. It may for some, but it's not going to work for everyone, especially your elites as they... Um, just, they need strong feet, bottom line. Yeah. Good question. So, uh, when, when I went to this conference, I, you know, no, nobody was ahead for me. And when I walked away, nobody was ahead, but man, I walked out an even larger fan of Dan Fichter, uh, Dan Dan really crushed his presentations this go around. And so I can't remember, and maybe you guys can help me the first time I heard Dan Fichter speak, but it may have been the TFC that we went to in Chicago, uh, Ross, and blew my mind. And then through COVID, uh, Dan and Chris hopped on, did a bunch of Zoom calls. I bought all those, watched them, and it's kind of interesting. We'll kind of get into this later, but with Dan, I always felt like, wow, this is amazing. I don't know what to do with it. Right. He'd get up there and do all of his neurological hacks and tricks. And I just wasn't educated enough at the time to really understand it. Um, he would talk about all these different coaches and training systems. Uh, Dan would talk about, uh, DB hammer and Jay Schroeder and Franz Bosch, and then, uh, all of his neuro chiros and, that whole world. But I really prepared and I watched every zoom call that Chris Corfus and Dan Fichter put out. Um, big shout out to uh, Tyler Rathke who uh, kind of runs the track and field at coach tube. Uh, Tyler's the man. Um, but I watched all those zooms. I got prepared. Dan also has phenomenal content out on his Patreon channel. Uh, you know, just a shameless plug there for everybody. I, I don't get paid for it, but <laughs> join Want to Get Fast's Patreon channel. Uh, phenomenal content. And so I went in really prepared to understand Dan's stuff. And I walked away going like, oh, I got you now, man. I got you. Like, I get it all now. And so hearing Dan's presentations about altitude drops, getting to see it in the weight room, guys, this opened up this crazy, crazy world for me of parts that I had been doing, but just laid out a really good progression in order for me. Okay. So we'll, I'll hit the order and then, uh, we can kind of break it down further, but the order of you start with extreme ISOs. Okay. A long duration ISO. Uh, everybody's talking about an isometric split squat, whether it's for uh, 10 seconds with uh, a heavy bar, 30 seconds, a minute, five minutes, right? If you're into the training world, you've seen it on Twitter. Some people base their entire training system around an isometric, okay? So when you start with extreme ISOs, that develops your postures and your positions. The athletes aren't moving. We could come over as coaches and kind of talk them through it. Then from there, once they know the postures and positions, then you transition into altitude drops. 
Okay, so now they're going to land and handle force from a landing with those good postures and positions that you just established. So with extreme isos, you could do the top and bottom of a push-up. You could do a wall sit, right? You could have them sit and hold a squat. Um, you could have them hang from a pull-up bar, right? So think of all the different positions that they'll be in in the weight room or on the field. Hold those, understand those, develop those motor patterns. Once you have that, now we're going to drop into those positions off a box or we're going to drop something onto us or we're going to drop something. We have to hold it in those positions. So extreme ISOs to altitude drops. And then to start to incorporate the sport specific, if you want to say, or the transfer type of thing, then we're going to go into a reactive altitude drop. And if you read DB Hammer, uh, some of Joel Smith's stuff, if you follow Cal, um, maybe you're going to call this an oscillatory isometric, right? So um, the best way to kind of envision it is with a bench press, right? So everyone uh, who isn't watching the video or even on the video, I'm not going to give a good example. Um, you pull a bar out, an altitude drop would be you drop the bar or like quickly let it descend. You kind of go limp and then you stop it an inch above your chest or think with a push-up, you're at the top of the push-up. You just rapidly pull yourself to the ground, stop an inch before the ground, and then you could kind of get yourself back up into that top position. That would be an altitude drop. A reactive would be you're at the top with a, a barbell on the bench. You pull it down or you let it just absolutely fall or drop. You stop it an inch off your chest and then you punch it back up. Right, So that would be your reactive. That would be your rapid eccentric, incredibly fast isometric, and absolutely popping a concentric portion. So then from there, I realized like, oh, that's the perfect transition over into Cal's stuff. All of Cal's uh, peaking methods, right? Where they're in the bands just going back and forth, whether it's with legs or a dumbbell. And so, yeah, I... I I was on the plane uh, flying back to Virginia and just scrubbing notes out of different progressions and series of, okay, I get it now. I understand how I could take somebody from an extreme isometric and develop them all the way to Cal's peaking method. And for different age athletes, uh, different training ages, whatever, I could just kind of plug them in somewhere on that scale. Now, I'm still going to use my traditional weightlifting. We're still going to RDL. We're still going to trap bar. I'm still going to split squat. I'm still going to lunge. I'll still do normal bench, but plugging these things in, it just looks athletic. It looks like sport, right? It's the same forces. And so, yeah, when hearing Dan's presentations, learning all that, I walked away going like, okay, Dan, I got you now. Like I, uh, I, I'm understanding it a bit more now. It, it was massive. How, how often would he use the extreme isos? Is it multiple times in a lift? You know, like maybe pick one mm -hmm. thing like the bench, you know, one lift and then uh, maybe something lower body another day. How, how would he do that? Or can you, can you elaborate on that, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. So with the extreme isos, unfortunately, I don't know. 
Uh, I didn't really get to ask that because most of his presentation uh, at this clinic was on altitude drops. So what I can say is I know that Dan said every single day, anytime he's in a weight room, his team is going to hang, right? They're going to get on a pull-up bar and they're going to hang. And uh, Chris also kind of threw that in there of like, yeah, we do that too, right? So anytime I hear one of these big dogs say, we do it every day, I write it down, I circle it, I highlight it, I star it. Okay, that's that's like a, a major key to kind of quote DJ Khaled there. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, I'm not too sure, Blair, how often he's using the extreme ISOs, but I would kind of just say his split squat isometric is way different than I had been doing it. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if we want to talk about that, we can, um, there again, just shout out to Tyler, uh, working on coach tube. He captured so much and it was so hard. Like, uh, no offense to Cal, Chris and Dan, but they are like dinosaurs when it comes to technology. So, you know, Tyler's angling laptops to, you know, catch video. But if you go on coach tube, this entire, um, weekend is for sale up there and, and, Whatever it costs, it's worth it. And then you can see Dan kind of uh, demonstrating with somebody there his his split squat. But yeah, sorry, Blair. I, I'm not too yeah. sure, but all, all good. Every, every day he's doing some sort of altitude drop, right? It, it is incorporated into his training every day. So I could kind of answer for me personally, when I think of extreme ISOs, I'm 100% going to use them during the beginning of the year. Right, because I could get a great stimulus. I don't have to load the athletes when um, school practices and getting ready for the season are the priority. And I'm definitely going to use it with youth athletes. Right, if I'm working with a middle school, high school kid, I need to make sure they can be in good pos- positions with good posture. Right, work on those shapes. But yeah, long long winded answer. Dan didn't cover it, but those are kind of my opinions on it for the altitude drops. For the, was there was there any specific? Uh, because like obviously most people we know, you know we got our we got our drops off a box. You have different things like that. Uh, you've seen different videos with mm-hmm. with Victor um, having people come off boxes landing on a push up. Anything specific as far as that was mm-hmm. oddball? That was a new type of or an altitude type of drop you hadn't seen? Like, was there something specifically, say, for hamstrings, something specifically for uh, backside of the body, stuff like that, aside from coming off a box or, like, the push-up? Because those are the two that you see. Those are the two you see all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, it was basically you could altitude drop anything. So. Yeah. Again, following the progression of athletes have to be able to hip hinge. And so if they can't put a PVC on their back, PVC pipe on their back, maintain three points of contact with their head, upper back, and butt, like they they shouldn't be doing much else. So establish the hinge position, uh, get them going with some RDLs, and then uh, Dan, through his Patreon channel, and then I don't know if he covered it at Revolutions, but you can do an altitude drop with a barbell. Yeah. And again, like it just looks athletic. It, it correlates with 
the best athletes turn their muscles on and off. Um, you have to be able to stop. And, you know, Dan made a point of like, I see all these coaches doing video, uh, filming videos of athletes sprinting, you blow a whistle and then they stop to kind of work on the brakes. That that's an altitude drop, right? That's what I'm working on. But anyway, so, uh, I've seen, uh, on, on Patreon, I believe, uh, Dan has athletes stand on whether it's a really low box or a, uh, a 45 pound plate, something you're at the top of uh, an RDL, you drop the bar, you go down and catch it. And so again, like I've, I've seen videos, we've heard Cal talk about um, doing a oscillatory type of, or reactive type of RDL. To me, this is the perfect um, segue to that, right? If I have an athlete who can't be at the top of a hip hinge let go of a bar and catch it six inches below and maintain a good, you know, spine, maintain a good position and posture. There ain't no way I'm going to say, Hey, go in this shortened range. You get as many reps as you can at 10 seconds. So again, like when you start to think of the progression to some of that more advanced stuff, man, it just makes sense. So standing on a small box, uh, and just start with the barbell and, or standing on a 45 pound plate, you're kind of at the top of a hip hinge, release the bar, go down and catch it. Really, really good. You know, didn't really think of that. And then the next one, man, this one was crazy, guys. So they, it was kind of like both Chris and Dan were having people stand close to a wall, right? So just imagine I'm near this wall, hips, hips to the belly button, heart forward, good posture. You're two, three feet from the wall just fall into it and stop yourself. It's, it's amazing how my big, strong guys, you know, over the summer, they hit that wall and they can't stop themselves. Right. And it's only, they're only falling realistically, uh, less than 45 degrees. Uh, maybe their hands are moving two feet. And so when they hit that wall, they have to instantly stabilize from their fingers all the way down to their toes. And you see people popping their butt like crazy, right? So they're falling into the wall and then poof, they hit that kind of low back arch or they can't stop themselves. They have to like slowly absorb that force. And so seeing that exercise, I was just like, Ooh, that is a good one. Um, and we were able to demonstrate it. And like my abs were ripped apart. Um, and, and just so the viewers know, I have a, a phenomenal six pack. So if it's making me sore, then no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah. And you could do that off of two feet with two arms and then you could drop an arm, right? So now you have to stabilize your entire body, uh, with an altitude drop leaning into the wall with one arm. And then you could go one leg, two arms, and then you could go opposite arm and leg and really start to incorporate that gate pattern, that cross crawl type of pattern. But yeah, for just teaching, we call it dynamically stopping and maintaining your hip posture. That's huge. Like that, that fall into the wall. I've, I've really started to incorporate that. Um, I've experimented on myself a bunch and I love it. It's, um, it's tough on shoulders sometimes for hockey players, right? Like my guys, if you're a college hockey player, you've had four or five shoulder injuries. Um, but yeah, it's a really nice way to cue 
posture, position. It's a really nice altitude drop. And yeah, you just see that, you know, the weak core guys are going to hit that wall and they're just going to pop, pop their butt, pop their back. They're, they're twerking on that thing. Um, but yeah, that, that was a really out of the box one and it goes perfect for me. I always have guys standing around waiting to push or pull a sled or standing around waiting to run on, on the 1080. So now when we're in my hallway of the ice rink waiting to run or push, pull a sled, Hey, knock out uh, six, I don't know, I'm just going to call them falls into the wall and kind of progress that. So yeah, those were some really big ones that I hadn't seen before, but I love. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. I used to do the, the uh, dumbbell like lateral raise drops. Yes, yes. And I never really thought like how many other – you know, they used to blow up my shoulders. How many mm-hmm. other exercise, like other ways could I use that? Yeah. It never really came through my mind. Mm-hmm. That's why these guys are way smarter than me, but, um, they just yeah, got time. Great. They that's got, great, they got decades on us. We'll, we'll catch them. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll, I, probably we'll stole it. I probably stole it from Cal anyways. So yeah, no, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I, I remember seeing you do it. I remember seeing Ross do it, right? You, you hold a, a five-pound plate, change plate out in front of you. You drop it and you catch it. Yep. Uh, now seeing Dan's training, it was just like, I get it now. I understand where to plug that in. I understand why we're doing it. And what, what I've been doing literally since I got back, I tried it out and then I plugged it in. Um, cause I, I, I don't have my full teams here over summer and I have a select group of people that I experiment on and I'm very open with them of like, Hey guys, I'm going to try this out. It may be good. It may suck, but I have them holding a 25 pound, uh, bumper plate out front drop catch. And then it's like, why can't I turn to the side and do that? You know, like hmm. you could do altitude drops with, you know, your upper and lower body separated where, you know, lower body's going forward, upper body's here. Because how often in a sport do we have to, you know, fight with our hands or something over here while we're going that way? Um, or, you know, running straight and I have to fight somebody over to my left. So, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan. Altitude drops are it. And wh- while we're on the subject, uh, there was another just like really good nugget there where Dan is talking about altitude drops and uh, – Unfortunately, I might have the full name for it, but maybe one of you guys could could find it in there um, in my notes. But Dan was uh, talking about altitude training, altitude drop training, and he was like, Cal told me I needed to name it. So it's like impact force absorption training, something like that. Uh, And I realized like, oh, that's right. Cal names everything. (laughs) <laughs> and that's why like everybody likes him, right? You know, so he's not just calling it like sipping water. It's uh vertical hydration integration. And it's like, Oh, Cal. Yeah. I, I got you now, man. So, uh, again, get, give us a few more decades here, fellas. And we just got to start naming stuff and coining terms and we're, we're going to blow up. It'll, it'll happen. That's, that was a really good nugget for me. Everything's going to be taken. I know, right? Yeah, we gotta we gotta get it on it quick here, but yeah, just come up with a system, come up with a method, and name it. That's that was a, a key takeaway that uh, Cal gave to Dan that I'm going to steal. Would 
you for laying out a let's say laying out you know your two three day training week you know whatever it may be mm-hmm. is this stuff that you're doing that for you chris whatever you think here uh whether it's in your warm-up and you kind of mentioned sprinkling it in your workout on top of doing rdl deadlift bench that type of stuff is it mm-hmm. i don't want to call it filler because yeah. that's not what it is is it going in between yeah. lifts are you doing it in a warm-up do you pair it on specific days you know a speed power or a strength mm-hmm. type of day what are you thinking for that yeah no that's a great question so again uh, dan during his presentations he was like hey look guys i do normal stuff <laughs> right i do normal boring stuff but when i come to a, a you know a, a clinic like this i'm not going to stand up here and tell you about my normal bench press right because you could get that from anywhere um so f- again for me i'm going to definitely keep the traditional up and down, down and up type of weightlifting in there because um, it's it's familiar, it's good, gets people strong. We need to be strong. So the way I've been incorporating it, Ross, is um, I'm starting to start to think of if I have one day that's kind of traditional lifting, the other day could be kind of this non-traditional lifting. Um, so let's just take, okay, again, it's the, always the easiest thing, uh, bench press. One day we're going to do a normal bench, whether it's with uh, dumbbells or with a barbell. The next day or next time we're doing a horizontal push, um, I'm going to start to incorporate some of this altitude training. Um, But I'm going to progress to it. I'm not going to right out of the gate do it, right? Um, I'm going to start with my traditional lifting. I'm going to make sure they can do a push-up well, right? But... I really like the idea of a progression from September to March for me, um, or in other words, start of the season to nationals, where we're finishing the year doing more of these uh, reactive altitude drops or some of the Cal stuff uh, with his peaking methods. But yeah, I, I'm really starting to think of on a dynamic type of day, incorporating uh, these altitude drops uh, whether it's for the shoulders, for the chest, for um, you know, falling into a wall, whatever it is, how, how's that sound? Does that make sense to you guys? Or you know, give me give me some feedback. I'd, I'd love your opinions too. Yeah, I like the idea of the whether it's al- alternating days of traditional, non traditional. Um, I like that train of thought. Or whether it's mm-hmm. every other week, I think that's a good idea. I'd be curious. I don't want to say curious. I'd be interested in in if you threw it in your warm up, right? I mean, you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a big fan of doing isos and whatnot in your warm up. If you know you did yes two two rounds of some sort of uh, altitude drop with your lift, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a bunch of sets. It could also be in a circuit uh, beforehand. Um, something like that, I think, would probably be. If I got a limited schedule, that's probably a good way to do it. You know, it's also easy to match up, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm doing if I'm doing bench that day, all right, we're doing altitude drops for the push up off boxes or off of plates or yeah. whatever whatever it may be. You know, that could be in your warm up. Mm-hmm. One, it just makes it easy to organize. 
and two kind of primes them for that lift. But I do like uh, I do like the alternating days because you know at least for like our schedule, Tuesday Thursday is a big lift day, um, but Monday Thursday is a power and a speed power type of day because uh, my my plan is to kind of spring ankle ice them a good bit on Wednesdays and stretch them all the same mm-hmm. same sort of day on Wednesdays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but being able to potentially line that up on Thursday, as well as kind of some stuff on Monday, that that mm-hmm. could that could flow really well um, with with the lift. So I think that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, like it um, it could be fit in anywhere. Honestly, I, whether you're you know you're doing your APRE bench and then you go over and do some sort of altitude drop, um, just to just yeah. to get them, you know, doing stuff with their body weight, you know, not not just laying on their back. But I th- I think like man, you you could go an entire year where you're just doing push ups, right? Thirty second ISO at the top, thirty second ISO at the bottom, start falling, do reactive stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's it's limitless. You're you're limited by creativity and uh, your athlete's attention span, right? And then if you <laughs> throw in uh, different hand placements, that's a whole other ball game. Oh yeah, hey. Uh uh big shout out uh to to Chris Corfist. He's not just the speed and track guy. He is uh an overall performance guy, but uh if you guys remember, we ordered a lot of fat grips one year <laughs> and they have made their way heavily into the Lahey Ice Center weight room. We are using mm-hmm. a ton of fat grips after uh coming back from revolutions. And again, I have a, a small group right now, so a lot of experimenting on them. Love the fat grips. Yeah, I would, I would fat grip everything if I could. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, uh, it's nice to be at Liberty cause we can, we got, we got plenty, <laughs> plenty of fat grips here. I, I remember like Blair, I think you put in the order. And I think your exact word was like, the guy is so fired up, like he's sending us more or something. Like we probably put in one of the largest fat grip orders all those yeah. years ago. Yeah. What did, I think we ordered like, it was, uh, it, you know, it was a, a six pack. So like small, medium and large. Uh-huh. And we ordered like eight or 10 pairs of them, I think. Oh yeah. No, we yeah. got a lot. They're, uh, they're getting put to use now, which, which is awesome. There's wow. one, one for every rack. That's right. Yeah. Oh, it's it's rolling now. Uh, good. Any other thoughts or questions, guys, on the altitude stuff to kind of recap or kind of flesh out here? What kind of stress do you think that the altitude drops or reactive altitude drops had? Like, you know, compared to, you know, typical APRE barbell benching or, you know, if, if we're using it as a replacement... Mm-hmm. on some days or question. in addition to mm-hmm. yeah that is a phenomenal question i i don't know i don't have an answer um i know so for me personally when when i was trying to dunk i did tons of altitude drops stepping off a box and landing like tons at two three days a week and high boxes i almost got up to 40 inches um and it never really beat me up. I never felt sore the next day. And 
I don't know if it's because we're not going through the entire like stretch shortening cycle, right? Like when you read about depth jumps, you're like, oh, you, you can't do these every day and you have to do them in limited quantities only at certain times of the year. Um, but, but for me personally, I, I haven't had any negative feedback from athletes. I don't have any negative feedback from my own personal training. Um, I just, yeah, I don't have a great answer for that. I don't know how much more stressful it is versus traditional lifting. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Blair or Ross? I, I don't, I don't think it would tear you up nearly as much. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I'm just, I was more of a a question out of curiosity. Um, you know, if it is a replacement and it's not as stressful, can we do more of it? Or, you know, like it, it all comes down to like, we, we can only adapt to what we can recover from. Right. So yeah. How do, how do we find the, the right amount to do? Mm-hmm. with that that's kind of where I, my my head's at i think yeah go ahead here ross i got i got something but go ahead i mean if i got to put it some if i got to categorize it i'm going to call it a speed thing i mean i'm not going to call it a mm-hmm. a strength item i'm not going to call it a a power item well i mean you could call it a power item but i i would i would argue it's more of a a speed related item um cuz i you're not really mm-hmm taxing yourself muscularly it's more tendon uh mm-hmm. nervous system type stuff yeah a good point trying to cut on and off um like i was thinking earlier i like the idea of you know if you're doing barbell bench i like the idea of that shoulder drop of the of the the plate with the twist that you mentioned like i i, I like the idea yes. of that you know, in between potentially one, just to do it for the shoulder separation, but two, it's just different. It gets you out of that rhythm. Um, which I thought was just funny because mm-hmm. today when I, when I got home, um, I did a hundred pushups, but I did, I did, um, uh, I did 50 with my hand staggered one way and 50 with my hand staggered the other way. And so like one hand was Ooh. high, one hand yeah. was low, no intention. I was just messing around. And probably the easiest set of push-ups I've ever done versus if I would have just sat down and did a hundred regular push-ups, they would have been a pain. Totally unrelated, but very related that I just did, like I just cranked out like sets of 20, 10 and 10. And it really wasn't a big deal. But if I would have just done regular push-ups, I can promise it would have been a much bigger deal. So I'm, I think it's interesting. I don't know, could throw that in there, but a, to guess yeah. to go back to the original train of thought, I would put it on a speed day. You don't really feel like it's taxing, but it's definitely doing something. Um, but, but yeah, that, I mean, that's mm-hmm. where I would, I would peg it on that day. Yeah. And so my, my thought just, to bench press is just always the, the easiest way to relate to people, but I have, uh, guys doing altitude drops with a Swiss bar, right? So a multi-grip football bar, um, you know, different names out there. And I don't have massive benchers on my team because I just don't prioritize that. But they'll have two tens on each side to do that altitude drop. And they're dropping it maybe like a foot, foot and a half. And like that's heavy to have uh, 45, 75 pounds just drop and then have to 
catch it and reverse it right away. Sorry, 85 pounds. Like that's, that's pretty difficult. Um, so yeah, you, you don't need a lot of weight for these to get a big effect, big time effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ross, I think, I think you, uh, you had that right where, you know, if it is more of a speed thing, then, you know, it's not going to beat someone up as much, but it is going to be more taxing on that CNS. Um, so that kind of answered the question, I think. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. We'll, we'll find out, right. I'll, uh, I'll have uh, 50 subjects to experiment on uh, wisely <laughs> and logically um, in the next couple weeks here. And we'll, we'll, have a good answer in a short amount of time here. So right. kind of moving on, the the other big thing that was so massively helpful at Revolutions is day one was basically all in a conference room. First part of day two was in a conference room. But then from there on out, we were in the weight room, right? So we were in Cal's weight room uh, in the, the bowels of the ice rink at Minnesota. And... It was, again, it was just so helpful to see the place, see the layout, and then Cal actually put his son through an entire workout and being able to see that, see how it works, I finally was able to connect a lot of dots and a lot of pieces, right? Like we we all know Cal Dietz as he puts out tons and tons of content. It's, it's always evolving. It's always changing. He's got a million bands set up everywhere. How does he do it? So number one thing I could say is Cal attracts phenomenal interns. Like I was talking to some of his guys and they're like high level. They're, they're going to get great positions somewhere. They're all super, um, you know, friendly, nice, whatever we want to call it, but they just know their stuff as well. So it kind of seems like he has interns kind of sprinkled throughout the weight room just to make sure that all of his nitty gritty details are taken care of, which is, it has to be like he needs a lot of help there because his stuff is so detailed. So getting to see someone go through that and have people helpful and uh, be present around was super helpful. So uh, his son comes in, they run some RPR on him, and that's kind of the warm up. Do RPR, feel good. There were some other things that Cal was like, and we'll do a little this, little that, and then again, if you're you know. A, a fan and follower of Cal like I am, you know that he says he sprints every day. So what does that look like? Where are you doing all this sprinting? So after RPR, inside the weight room, there's a door, there's a flight of stairs, and that brings you right to the concourse or the mezzanine of the University of Minnesota's ice rink. And so they have this big, giant, open, you know, concrete slab all the way around their um, hockey arena, and that's where he does it. So in five seconds, you go up one flight of stairs, two flights of stairs, and you're right there. So when they get to the top, uh, again, they RPR in the weight room, they get to the concourse or mezzanine, and he has the goat drill set up, right? The infinity walks, goat drill set up. And then he has a 1080 sprint set up on kind of like a long stretch of the concourse. And so RPR warm up, go upstairs, do a set of the goat drill, and then you sprint. And so different days have a different intent or emphasis with the 1080. And they showed us like straight sprints, change of direction stuff, um, some really cool um, 
kind of cone drills and other things that they're doing with the 1080. And then they go back into the weight room. They'll do four sets of the goat drill and 1080. Then they go back in the weight room based off of the athlete and the phase of training that they're in. They just get to work. And so he really follows that kind of performance pattern cycling where you start here, you do one set of this, then you move one set of that, then you move one set of this. Six or eight exercises go through until you drop off. He uses a jump mat to assess whether or not they're still going or whether or not they drop off. They go through that and then they have another block of three, four, five exercises, and then another block of three, four, five exercises, uh, you know, do a little cool down recovery type stuff, and then they leave. So getting to see that, getting to see all the pieces kind of put together with all the bands, with uh, all the, the drills, exercises, and methods he has, that was massive. It was such a good way to visualize, conceptualize how this is actually going down. So again, if I had to list, you know, a massive takeaway, watching someone do a Cal Dietz workout inside his weight room was absolutely one of them. Chris, uh, two questions. One, yes. how long did that workout take? Mm-hmm. And two, how old is Cal's son now? Because I can remember Cal talking about getting his son sprinting by just mm-hmm. like throwing footballs with him and having him chase him down. Yeah, no, exactly. So uh, for the hockey fans out there, his son is either an 04, 5, or 06. I want to say he's an 05, though, because he went to a um, he, he went to the same camp that I know a group of 05s went to in Buffalo, New York, like a um, uh, some USA national team tryout type of deal um, nice. for the Hol- uh, Gretzky Holinsky Cup. Or something. You're, Holinka. you're Holinka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, you're U, the hockey U, guy. U eighteen. You know. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So he's he's in that age. Um, nice. Su- super super nice kid. Like solid. Um, and then yeah, just he's been Cal trained for sure. Uh, he he was polished in that weight room. So it's a great question. It's a ton of exercises. A ton of exercises. Like. He, he got through more than I think my athletes get through in a week. It was wild. But they're all 10 seconds or less maximal intent. Now, guys, when I say maximal intent, I mean violence. Like he was trying to rip every band in half and pull every rack off the ground. It was I, – I, I wrote multiple times in my notes – I need violence. Like it was just like, holy, my guys do not work hard. And when I say that, I'm pointing <laughs> all fingers at me. Like I am not, I am not coaching maximal intent. Like what I witnessed in that weight room. It, it was just like a shock to me of how hard he was going. Now the exercises were all set up that way. Right, so he wasn't doing a traditional bench press. He was doing a 1080 quantum maximal, like grip this bar and rip it apart type of bench. Um, He wasn't doing a vertical jump. He had bands over his shoulders with holding on to bands and jumping. Right, so they're all set up like that and for that. Um, 
in season I know is different, but he got through everything pretty quick. So there, there was a lot of stopping and starting. There was a lot of questions being asked, but it's very, very realistic Blair that uh, his son could have gotten through that entire workout in less than an hour. And that's with doing RPR, going upstairs, goat drill, sprinting back in the weight room, um, four or five, six sets of an eight exercise circuit. Just cause again, everything was less than 10 seconds for, of maximal intent move to the next thing. Like he was sweating, huffing and puffing. He was, he was working, but again, like when you're there and you see it, you go, okay, that's how he does it. Now, the other thing is, I don't think the entire team comes in at once, right? So that's where, again, the Anthony Donskov absorb, modify, and apply. I have all 24, 5, 6 of my hockey players in the weight room at once. So I can't do something like that, right? I have one 1080. I can't have them all cycle through a um, program where they have to use it versus in his weight room. Okay, so he has one 1080 sprint upstairs, and then he had two set up down in his weight room on opposite sides <laughs> of his turf, right? It's just like, whoo, a lot of, lot of money in here, boys, a lot of money. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it's doable because everything is short, and it's intense, it's violent, it's nasty, and you you, just, you can't be soft. You cannot be soft in that weight room. Like, you have to go. It's awesome. Yeah, it was good. Think, it was good to watch. It was helpful. I think that's interesting that you just mentioned the high intensity piece because that's something that uh, Victor had mentioned on, I think it was Evan Esch's podcast where he was talking about wanting kids to feel what max effort, full intensity feels like and, and getting to that mm-hmm. point because a lot of them yeah. uh, don't don't necessarily hit that. In, in sport or whatever and it kind of mm-hmm. goes back to and it's really a conversation coincidentally I've been having with our uh, sport coaches a lot is I would rather be a conditioned through high intensity efforts uh, versus conditioned through low intensity efforts yeah and mm-hmm. the 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 idea and understanding that I can do these high intensity efforts, such as in the weight room or on the field, whatever it may be, I can do the short full out stuff that then shoots my heart rate up a little bit. And then I can go on to the next thing, do a high intensity effort, but it's still conditioning me aerobically just because of how my heart rate yes. is. Now it's, now it's different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a sustained bit, but just based off of where my heart rate goes, it's still going to get that aerobic conditioning piece that we're looking for. But now I'm sprinkling it in the ability to to go all out and pursue high intensity efforts, which is sport, unless you're an endurance person. And that mm-hmm. that little bit and understanding as a as a sport coach, you know, on the field whether it's football or whatever it may be, that the the rest between those high-intensity efforts is what causes the adaptation we're looking for. Being able to mm-hmm. go all out, bring your heart rate back down, then do it again. 
you know, versus everything's so tight or my effort is so continuous, my heart rate never gets a chance to come down. The that break, that little rest is what gets the adaptation we want. So that's interesting. Like you were just saying, Chris, he's all out, he's violent, and then we're going to the next thing. Well, that little bit of rest is in between, and that is what's building that aerobic. Because any, if mm-hmm. you tell an athlete, hey, you got to go all out for 10 seconds on this thing, and then you go to the next thing, they can do that. Like that's not a, not a mm-hmm. hard thing to, to grasp. And I think that's something kids can get on board with. Uh, and then as they go, obviously we get that aerobic effect that we are looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ross, you, you hit that out of the park a hundred percent true. And you, you mentioned Dan Victor. And so I, th- this could be a good thumbnail. You know, I, <laughs> I want to show everybody I did write it, you know, need violence. And uh, at some point throughout the workout, I, I walked by Dan and we kind of mentioned something like that. And I literally said to him like, yeah, look at my note. I literally just wrote need violence. Right. Um, and yeah, it probably was Evan Esch's podcast. And uh, yeah, go listen. Dan Fichter on Zach Evan Esch's podcast after this one. And uh, it really good. Really good. Um, so what, what got me triggered was 10 second circuit. Yep. Right. Classic coach bill, coach Williams, 10 second circuit, uh, an all out effort competitive for 10 seconds, 50 seconds to rest, recover, move on to the next one. Uh, and so I was thinking, and I, I wrote this note down on the plane we don't just have to do it with, you know, the, the classic drills that we're familiar with coach Gillespie, but we could also do, you know, green band jumps, 10 seconds, maximal effort, band resisted jumps, um, split mm-hmm. squat, right? Like there's, there's a big conditioning power component we can make up with 10 second circuit for sure. And Cal also had a really, um, really good chunk of his presentation on the weekend with 10 second conditioning pieces. It's like, here's how you condition for 10 seconds with a bike. Here's how you do it with a sled. And that really got me thinking of, okay, his training is violence, quick recovery. And his conditioning is, you know, 10 seconds of murder yourself and recover. And it, it, all this really ties in as well with, um, stuff I learned from Chris Hinshaw and Chris Hinshaw is the, I'm I'm just going to call him. He's the conditioning coach for the world's most elite CrossFit athletes. Um, He's trained with every champion. He is an absolute monster. Follow his stuff, aerobiccapacity.com for Chris Hinshaw. Unreal dude, super smart, phenomenal coach. But a lot of my big takeaways from him were, you create fatigue in your fast twitch muscle fibers or motor units right through your high intensity, whatever it is. And then it's your slow twitch muscle fibers, motor units that are going to clear away that fatigue. And so what a phenomenal way to train athletes and prepare them for team sport, maximal intensity, violence, teach them what that is, recover, do it again. repeat sprint ability right classic cal deeds where where do you think um their typical 
aerobic circuit fits into that, like the continuous 20 minutes. Like if, mm-hmm. you, if I take my day, yeah. right, like where does that fit in, in a week per se? Yeah, so I, I know that Cal loves to train in blocks. And that's I, a, that's a, I'm that's saying a great that based point. off of things I've, I've that's yeah, a great point. Th- things that I've that. read and things that I've seen. Yeah. Um, but I would imagine if the team comes in, they're trashed. He's he'll run, you know, an aerobic circuit or if he does some sort of high low system uh, on a low day. But I, I think and again, this is just me from consuming his material out there that's for free everybody there's tons of free cal content um he'll do a two-week gpp phase get into one two weeks of training during a deload do more of that aerobic stuff but really really interesting um cal was like you need to have capacity you need to have conditioning so something else with um seeing cal stuff number one if you guys aren't a believer in, in RPR, get on the train. It's wild. Um, I, I won't. I won't say uh, during this podcast some of the stuff that we went over, but uh, Chris had some new stuff that he went over that was mind blowing. Um, Cal got a guy on the table. It, it was perfect. Uh, there, there was a guy there who was an intern at a, a velocity get a velocity gym. His name was Jack. Super awesome dude. And he's like, man, I, I, I really want to talk to Cal, but I'm, I'm just nervous. And I was like, dude, I, I get it. I was literally you five years ago, you know, the exact same way. And Cal needed a RPR volunteer and he volunteered. And I like elbowed someone. I was like, this is the best day of his life right now. Getting, <laughs> getting RPR'd by, by Cal Dietz. Uh, but yeah, some of the RPR stuff they were going over was wild. And then the hormonal strain release, um, so throughout a you know a training cycle, Cal is going to have people push or pull in the most advantageous positions, just to feel strong, just to release that like uh, I don't know, going to call it animalistic like. <clears throat> so if you guys remember a story Cal's told on podcasts and stuff like that, where he had a group of throwers, they were throwing PRs, they were peaking. And they said, like, hey, coach, we just don't feel that strong. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he threw in some isometric stuff. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, we feel strong now. Um, So I don't know how old that story is. Cal hasn't worked with throwers, to my knowledge, for some years. But that's still in there. Um, So think of, like, not even a mid-thigh pole, but a top-of-the-thigh pole. Or not a bench press isometric on the chest or above it, but, like, in the top position, almost that lockout. Uh, think of like rowing something in the best position. Um, so yeah, that was a kind of another nugget in there that you know I wouldn't have known about had I not seen somebody go through a full workout. I was gonna say I like the idea of just throwing that in uh, in the warm up just for two seconds, right? I like that. Just run through, hit a whatever it may be, not a mid thigh pull or whatever, but I, that's something easy, and I think that's actually a it's actually a really good idea on the intent. Yeah. And so this year I will have um, my men's team in the weight room Monday through Thursday from two to two fifteen, just kind of to warm them up. So my idea is 
I'm going to incorporate a lot of this new RPR stuff for the first five, six, seven minutes. And then you have eight minutes. What do you do? Have everything already set up. All right. Hey, everybody go and hit uh, this exercise ISO for this. Do that. Do that. Do some plyos, some altitude drops, and then send them to the locker room to get dressed for practice. But yeah, I, I really like the idea of the most advantageous positions possible pulling, pushing for maximal intent, like why not? Right. It's, it's only going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds like an awesome plan. The, the only drawback for hockey is that it takes them so long. Well, not so long, but you know, 15 minutes to get ready. Maybe are you, are you losing it? Are you losing anything in the 15 minutes? Whereas like, you know, if it's basketball. You, sneakers are on. They're just going right onto the court. So I, I plan to uh, make that locker room a sauna. It's going to be a hundred <laughs> degrees. So they're, they're not going to lose anything. They're going to be sweating in there. Uh, they will not cool down. That's awesome. But no, that's yeah. You, you would know, right? Blair, like getting goalie gear on that takes a minute. So yeah. I'll, I'll be interesting to interested to have the guys feedback on the ice, how they feel, get some of the coaches feedback and yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's a good plan now until you know it. It's actualized during the season. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I would have loved that. Now, no, I, I'm I'm happy to hear you say that. Versus like, nope, that's dumb, right? Like you you played hockey, so you know more than I do. Um, Chris, I'm looking at your notes here. Yeah, it looks like we might have enough for another podcast. I, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's plenty we didn't really get into. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think we could, uh, we could cover more there. There was just so much at this. It was, it was solid. It was really we solid, could. but one one more thing to kind of get into. And, uh, maybe if you guys have another question, we kind of talk about it, but, um, this is something we talked about Ross pre-recording, but whenever you hear, typically a Dan Fichter presentation or a Chris Corfus presentation, you kind of walk away going, wow, that was great. How the heck do I implement that? Right? Wow. That was so good. What in the world? How does he do this? And so, uh, Chris actually addressed that at the beginning of one of his presentations. And again, uh, we, we talked about this Ross, but, um, I, I'm, I have it in my notes there, Blair, um, you can kind of find it, but, Chris said that Matt Van Dyke said to him and Dan Fichter, Hey, your stuff is great, but you never give anybody any kind of like practical takeaway or you don't tell people how you, how you do it. And again, that's why I thought this clinic was so beneficial because we got in the weight room, we got to see it. But during his lecture, Chris was saying how, Hey, here's what I do. Here's exactly how I do it. So Chris has this massive, library of exercises right from a toe pop series to a boom boom series to a prime time series to some of his new heel flick stuff and he's got this huge list of exercises and the way he describes it is he has a palette right so think of the classic bob ross painting he's got that big thing with his thumb sticking through it and a million colors so Chris is like an artist with a bunch of colors on a palette scheme. And then when he paints the picture, he does it to each individual. 
So he'll write out his drills, his exercises for that person on a three by five index card, hand it to them and say, these are yours for the next day, week, two weeks, month. Once these look good, once you've mastered these, I'll give you a new index card. And so hearing that, it was like, all right, I I get now. He kind of breaks things into phases a little bit too, right? Um, But it kind of made sense of like, oh, that's how you could kind of incorporate everything. That's how you could individualize so well. You just got this huge list, gives it to him on an index card and says, all right, let's do it. Um, So that was, that was another kind of big takeaway for me. Again, if you're, you're a fan and follower of, of Chris Corfus, like, like I've been for a number of years now, hearing how he runs workouts or runs practices is it's super beneficial just so then you could, uh, you know, absorb it, modify it, and apply it better to your setting. I was going to say that three by five card is super smart because that's something you can easily do even on a workout card is you got stuff programmed in and hey, here's your, you know, your extra needs that you have that you just print out on a sheet, um, whether it's by sport or by mm-hmm. positions or whatever. That's something you can pretty easily do. That's that's a really good idea, and that makes a lot of sense in terms of uh, implementing all the individual mm-hmm. stuff. It's just, hey, you're good at these things, and then we'll just move on to five, whatever it is, new things. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, and for, and for me, having access to Team Builder, I, I could just throw all that in the notes, mm-hmm. right? Put Make a, a notes area at the, the start or the bottom of a workout and just – individualize, put all that in there real simple. It copies and pastes to the next day or the next workout. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. It was good to hear and really got the the juices flowing for sure. Awesome. I think that's all I got for today, boys. I don't know if you have anything. <laughs> that's all I got. Yeah. Uh, at the, at the expense of turning this into a three hour Joe Rogan podcast, <laughs> I think, uh, I think that's a good stopping point. And yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we have a a lull, whether it's uh, in guests or just other content and we could revisit this or maybe even if we want to, you know, just hit it again uh, sooner rather than later. There's still tons of great stuff. And so for everybody uh, watching or listening at home in the car or, you know, wherever you are, uh, everything that I've kind of gone over and we've discussed is for sale on CoachTube. Again, huge shout out to Tyler Rathke for being the man recording all that. Um, if you were there and you saw him working, it was tough work uh, chasing around Chris, Cal, and Dan. And it's all available on CoachTube, Revolutions and Speed Clinic. Uh, and again, follow all these guys on their social medias. Uh, Cal is XL Athlete and also like Cal.Deets. Um, Chris is Corfist One. Dan Fichter is uh, his company's Want to Get Fast. He's like, WGF1 um, on Twitter and potentially on Instagram as well. Uh, we'll be able to kind of confirm that with you guys later, but follow Dan on Patreon, follow um, Cal on YouTube, uh, read all of their articles. Chris Corfus has a million articles out on Simply Faster. And again, if you want to hear all this content, it's for sale at a phenomenal price up on CoachTube. Make sure you guys check that out and you'll you will not regret it. It's it's really game-changing stuff here. And absolutely as well, please feel free to reach out to me, to Ross, to Blair, with kind of some implementation ideas. A lot of these ideas, they are revolutionary, 
and it really helps to kind of run it through with another coach. There's nothing wrong with you know experimenting on your athletes and getting their feedback, but um, ultimately we decided to do this podcast because you know we feed off of each other, and we're hoping that we can provide some uh, good thoughts or ideas to other coaches, but we want to hear from you, right? This is just as much for us to kind of bounce ideas off of each other as it is hopefully for us to uh, make, you know, another buddy, another friend out there in the world that wants to get after it. So thank you everybody uh, for, for me here and Ross and Blair. This was a good one, fellas. And hopefully uh, a lot of people will reach out with some of their own ideas based off of what we've talked about. Gentlemen, have an excellent night and I look forward to the next one. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we also have videos and clips of each episode on our Victory Over Self Athletics YouTube channel. Like and subscribe and let us know if there's any person or topic you'd like us to cover. We'll see you all next time.